0: We are in a series of messages right now through the book of Romans in your New Testament. And it is uh, one of those books that is pretty thick, pretty meaty, if you will. And uh, so we're going to chew on chapter 5 today. And we're going to come to several usages of a word that I want to bring to your attention. It's the word justification. Justification. And if I can just sort of summarize that word for you briefly, it means to be made right, to be made right in God's eyes. And so that's sort of what Paul is getting at when he talks about this term, this concept of justification. It's actually a legal term, and it sort of means to be declared uh, not guilty almost, or you know, it's not exactly what it means, but you get the idea that way, I think. So it we're talking about this idea in the whole series, which is kind of one of the themes in the book of Romans of getting right with God justification is is that state of being made right with God and so we're going to take a look at that uh, word r- rather in depth today, and then we're going to I want you to think about one thing as we read through uh, this passage, one other thing, and that's this idea of access to God. What does that mean? What does it look like? Uh, How important is that? What is its worth and its value to us as human beings? This idea of access to God as those who are justified or made right through the work of Christ. So read with me. I'm going to be, or follow along with me. I'm going to be in chapter 5 of the book of Romans. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read the whole chapter. I'm going to be reading out of a translation called the ES. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from whom i'm sorry by him from the wrath of god For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the faith of his Son, I'm sorry, by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Just a little light reading, you know. Let me ask you a question. What are you willing to pay for access? Exactly. To what? Right? Are we as people prone to pay for access? All right. Cody favorite band, just off the top of your head. Give me one. What? Say that again? I'm not saying that out loud. Just kidding. <laughs> Alright. So let's say, let's say that someone had tickets, right? And they were gonna play at, I don't know, the Alamo Dome. Alright? And you had one friend that had tickets but he wanted, they, they, he wanted you to pay for yours, right? And it was up in the rafter seats. The next guy also wants you to pay for your tickets, and it's on the floor, like, you know, front few rows. And then another guy wants you to pay tickets, pay for your ticket, and he's got backstage passes. That's a no-brainer, <laughs> right? So which one do you hope your dad will buck up for. <laughs> the backstage passes. Why? Because it's one thing to be there. It's another thing to be right there. And it's yet another thing to have access. Right? You with me? That access to their presence, to the... To, actually being in the same place with them or whatever and access is something we all intuitively value and so you know if I am a frequent flyer with an airline and I've got my little frequent flyer card and I've got silver status are they going to let me into the platinum lounge no Right? Do I want to get into the Platinum Lounge? Probably. If I'm a red-blooded American human, yes. Right? But what do I have to do to get in there? I got to pay or I got to fly more, which means I got to buy more. You get the idea. And in a lot of respects, all of society is kind of built around this idea of access, or much of society is built around this idea of access. And Paul sort of randomly drops that word into chapter 5 of Romans, right towards the beginning, if you remember. Um, He says, we've been justified by faith, So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So what is this access that we have gained as Christians? What is its value? Who paid for it? What was the price? And what do we gain? And so, really, Paul in his in his communication to this young church is trying to uh, explain something very fundamental and basic about the Christian faith. That here is a massive shift in the way that humankind relates to God, and I'm going I'm to take you to a, a another. Well, I'm just going to allude to another passage for just a second. When Christ died on the cross, some of the gospel accounts record things like the earth going dark. You've probably heard that before. The earth shaking or quaking. And in the course of that earthquake, one of the gospel authors records that a veil in the temple of God, was torn open. This was the veil that separated the Ark of the Covenant, which was like a throne seat. It was essentially a th- uh, the seat of a throne, and it was on the lid of a box, and inside the box would have been the Ten Commandments and a few other, uh, some, a little bit of manna, and I think Moses' staff, if I'm not mistaken. Anybody got Bible trivia on me? There's one more, I think. Aaron's staff is what I said. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. It's not what I said. I'm just pretending like that's what I said. Thank you. Um, Aaron was Moses' brother. I was really close. It was really, really close. Um, Okay. So the lid to that box was covered in gold leaf. It had big cherub wings coming up off of it. And it was considered to be the throne seat of God, where the presence of God came to dwell on earth in the midst of his people. When when Jesus completed the work of his sacrifice on the cross and that veil was torn open, what that means is that the presence of God on earth is now at rest in our hearts by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That God now resides in the temples of our hearts, of each and every one of us who are saved by the blood of Christ. And so, access has fundamentally changed. Up until the time of Christ's death, there was only one person, and only on one day of the year, for only a brief moment, who had access to that throne room of God. And he would they would even tie a big rope around his waist just in case he had a heart attack while he was in there. Nobody else had to go in to get him. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. And he would go in and he would sprinkle the blood of atonement from the altar of God onto and around the Holy of Holies, the, the, the Ark of the Lord. Um, this whole concept of access to God, the presence of God, takes a radical shift. And Paul is essentially saying, I, I want you to clue into this because you-, you are part of something that up until this point has been veiled from humanity. It's not that God wasn't present with his people, it's that the, the raw truth of that was not fully revealed. And so Paul says we have this amazing thing called access through the faith that's given to us in Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at um, what this access brings to us. First and foremost, um, this access to God through Christ brings us peace. It is where we find peace through the Son of God. That is, through his sacrifice on the cross, we are granted peace in our souls in relation to God. That is because Jesus justified us or made us right in the eyes of God. If you look at God as, as judge, as, as you would a judge in a courtroom, then he has certain um, requirements of the law that are before him and he is just and so he will make sure that those requirements are met. And one of the problems with sin is that it separates us from God not just in a temporal sense but in an eternal sense. And so that truth had to be satisfied and so when Jesus lays down his life as a sacrifice, his sinless life, God says, okay, the, the, the requirements of the law are met. And now those for whom Christ died are made right in my eyes. And so there we are, there we sit before God in this new revelation that through his sacrifice we are made right with God and we gain Grace, joy, and hope. Um, Paul goes on to unroll that a little bit, but let's just stop in verse 2 for a second and take that in, that through what Christ has done for us, we are made right in the eyes of God, and we gain grace, joy, and hope all components of the peace brought to us through the sacrifice of Christ. And so, peace comes through his sacrifice, and peace comes even in the midst of our suffering, Paul says. Why why does Paul go through this um, declining of the idea of hope? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Paul wants us to understand something. The sacrifice of Christ doesn't open an escape chute where we land in candy land, okay? The sacrifice of Christ yields unto us those things which are both otherwise intangible, but now, because of the, what Christ has done for us, they are irrevocable, And so, Paul says, look, it's going to get bad still. You're going to have bad days, bad weeks, months, years, etc. It's going to be bad. But I want you to understand something. No one can take away from you what Christ has gained for you by his blood. It's irrevocable. And so... We see Paul emphasize to these young Christians that hope means the most when it's dark. It's that simple. And as a way of ensuring that even in the midst of our suffering, we will know the presence and blessing of God and that this there's been this fundamental shift in access to God, Paul says that God's Spirit abides in us. The Spirit of God lives in the heart of the Christian. We can have joy in our darkest hours. Um, you understand the difference, right, between joy and happiness... When when you're when you're in a trial, when you're suffering, you're not happy. Can I just give you a little pastoral wisdom? I'll just apply it to myself. I, I do not know a God who is fundamentally concerned with my happiness. That's not his concern. that is you, you hear the term in the bible the fear of god that's part of it that he really doesn't care how happy i am god does not want me to be happy that's not his will for my life he wants me to have joy that which comes from the very presence of god within us the holy spirit which transcends our circumstances which says that we are cherished and blessed and loved no matter what. No matter what hell may, may be breaking out before us, we have something that no one can take away. This is the, the basic point that Paul is trying to drive home with these young Christians. Um, thank God that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say these things. Because it is easy when we find ourselves unhappy, it is easy to believe that God is somehow unhappy with us. And usually that's not the case. Usually our unhappiness is the result of just what I would call common life or suffering. And it's not that God wants us to be unhappy. It's that he wants us to have joy, which transcends the goodness or badness of present circumstance. So we, as we gain access to the presence of God through Christ, we find peace through the Son. And we find reconciliation through the Son. That is, Paul goes into a rather elaborate uh, contrast between Adam and Jesus. And let's just start where Paul starts, with so that we are to remember our starting place in this relationship between man and God. How are we described um, in verses six through eight? How does humanity come off looking? Weak, ungodly, sinful, selfish—you can throw your own uh, adjectives in there, right? So, and then if you want to, if you want to jump to verse ten while we're here, what is our, what is the nature of our relationship to God apart from Christ? We are His enemies how does that look like it's going to work out for us not so good all right sort of like the Dallas Cowboys maybe oh I'm sorry did I say that out loud (laughs) couldn't resist couldn't resist um okay sorry I that just told just blew the whole thing you were like all engaged in the word of God and then I had to do that I'm sorry See, I'm a sinner, Dan. I'm a selfish, sinful man. It's a good sermon illustration right there. Yeah, I don't know. Don't go there. All right. Weak, ungodly sinners. That's our starting point. And as a result, we are in this position where we are facing the imminent wrath of God. Um, This is not a good place to be, to live from which to think and act and relate towards God or anyone else. And Paul says, okay, that's your starting place, but let's also realize the transformation that is made possible through Christ, the reconciliation that comes through His blood, that He takes our death upon Himself and saves our lives. That Our lives are given life through his death. Um, This is the other side. So we have this sort of bleak starting point, if you will, and this incredibly bright and hopeful ending place that our death has been taken upon Christ and his life has been vested in us. He restores our faith and gives us Joy. And you keep seeing through this passage another word that re- is repeated often is that of rejoicing. That we are a people, because of what Christ has done, who know what it means to rejoice. This is the opposite of wrath. That we were in this position of condemnation, and we'll get to this in just a minute. But we are now, because of Christ's reconciling work, in this position of inheritance and blessing and grace. And so he's completely reversed the poles and taken us from this place of desperation to a place of hope and love and acceptance and access, if you will. So we find peace through the Son, we find reconciliation through the Son, and we find life through the Son when we are granted access to God through the blood of Jesus. So, uh, you know, Paul uses a word for Adam in this passage. I'm going to just sort of tweak it a little bit because I think it's one you're probably more familiar with. But Paul says, okay, let's look at the prototype. And by prototype, I don't mean that God was, like, experimenting with Adam. I believe God knew exactly what he was doing when he created us. But I just mean this is the first guy. The first one, and so let's take a look at the 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 flaws that beset or that that overcome the first prototype. Again, I didn't word that very well. I apologize for that. I do not believe that Adam was flawed when he was created. Are we clear there? Okay, all right. Um, but let's look at this status. Which the prototype Adam finds himself in. Um, it is one of sin, trespass, and disobedience. Found in verses 12 through 15 and then in verse 19. And let me just try to speak to something real quick. In, in, uh, got to find it, got to find it. Okay, verse 14 death reigned from adam to moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of adam here's what that means in case you were like paying attention and and that one's a little bit weird okay our sin is is not like adam's in this one sense that adam's sin as the first sin Had this avalanche of consequence for the rest of humanity. Um, If if you look at uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, you can see where our sin is like that of Adam in that we have all broken the covenant with God. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, to go back to Romans. Um, So there's that sense in which all of our sin is in the same boat with Adam. And there's that other sense in which Adam, as the representative of all of us, his sin had this massive uh, repercussion that is, that is fundamentally different than the way our sin works. Um, okay, that being said, if you were hung up on that little verse, that's my quick and dirty attempt at, at explaining it. Um, Adam finds himself in this position where he has brought about sin, trespass, and disobedience. And through his sin, trespass, and disobedience, he brought upon us our death, judgment, and condemnation. All right? That's the the picture that Paul is painting. And then he flips the coin again and says that we are to look not only at, at the prototype and what flaws or or consequences it brought upon us, but we're also to look to the free gift we have in Christ. Um, Look at what Adam created as the fruit of his own work, his own choices, his own decision. Okay? And that work of man yields a fruit or a variety of fruit, death, judgment, and condemnation. When we look to the free gift we have in Christ, that is when we're no longer relying on our own works and our own righteousness, we see something very different. That Christ's death, Christ's grace, and his obedience are ours for free. There's no paying for your access to grace. Christ paid for your access to grace. And so you have that which you could not provide for yourself through Christ. You have what he has done for you through his death by bestowing his grace and through his faithful obedience to the law of God. We then find life, justification, And righteousness for us. Now, I don't know about you. I do not feel like a righteous person. Um, I do think it's kind of funny. Let's talk about this for just a second. Do you remember Paul saying, who would you die for? Would you die for a righteous person? (laughs) He's like, I probably wouldn't. (laughs) I'm like, dang. And Paul says something very interesting. Now, if he was a good person, if he was somebody I felt warmth and and a kindred spirit with, I might actually be bold enough to to lay down my life for that. But a righteous person, eh, he's on his own, right? Right? And we have this, I, th- I don't think bizarre is too strong of a term, this bizarre transformation within who we are. That whatever our righteousness might have been or whatever we thought it might have been is dissolved in, under the, the crushing power of sin, death, and condemnation. The righteousness of Christ is placed upon us, infused into us, so that we now have a righteousness we did not earn. It did not come from me, it came from Him. And so now I can relate to you not on my own righteousness, strength, or goodness. on the basis of the righteousness, strength, and goodness of Christ. Because he lives in me by his Holy Spirit. I am a new man. And I still may not feel all that righteous, but a massive shift has taken place. And the very presence of God is alive within each one of us by his Holy Spirit. And we have unending, irrevocable access to the presence and blessing of God each and every day, all day long. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at what you have granted us through your Son, Jesus Christ. That you would acquiesce to such an extent that you would take up your dwelling in the hearts of those who were once sinners and even enemies of your grace. Lord, you have claimed us. You have redeemed us. You have forgiven us. Lead us to live our lives out of the strength of that truth, out of the knowing that we are changed by the power of what your son has done for us on the cross. It is in his name we pray, amen.